0: This is Heather Meckes, Director of Discipleship at CRC, and this is our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you, encourages you, and allows you to see how God is moving in and around you. If you would like to check out more resources, go to coopersvillereform.com. Enjoy the message.
1: If you could grab the one in the pew, or if you brought your own, that would be awesome this morning to follow along. John's going to be referencing this as we go along as well. Uh, It is Philippians 2 this morning, in uh, continuation of our series on Unwrapped Joy. Philippians 2, uh, page 951 in your pew Bibles, uh, verses 1 through 4. In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others.
0: Again, uh, as Bob alluded to, we are walking our way through the book of Philippians in this series that we've entitled, Unwrap Joy, and we will specifically be looking at ways in which we can find the joy of the Lord in difficult seasons. People have wrestled with unity ever since the fall of mankind. Adam points to Eve after giving ear to the serpent and says, the woman that you made for me, she made me do it. Some of you husbands sound like that sometimes, you shouldn't do that. Cain murders his brother, Abel, unity, broken. Jesus' 12 disciples had one member of the group who was a phony, a fake, unity, But the entire group was broken from this one member. Now Jesus obviously unified them still. But Paul, he speaks in much of his letters on the importance of unity and he warns churches against disunity. I was visiting with some pastor friends that I've connected with in Western Michigan over the last year or so We try to meet every month. I'm able to make it about every other month due to my schedule and we were meeting on Thursday morning and we happened to be at a particular church that had fallen on some really hard times in the last few years because of a series of events concluding with the pandemic and all the craziness that we're well aware of that came with that. This once thriving church of over a thousand members, not many years ago, was seeing just over two or three hundred worship attendees in this current season. Without a pastor, you know how that feels. And they're wondering what's next. And as I hear more of the story, my heart just continues to break. Everything that was causing people to leave the church that I was hearing and to go worship somewhere else across the street or down the road or nowhere at all for some people, everything seemed to be a non-essential matter. Jesus wasn't being made less of, his word wasn't coming under attack. From the people who were sharing this with me who have strong ties with the church, they were telling me it was mostly on preference and opinion, whether it was style of music or color of the stage or pastoral attire or other guidelines. My question then at that moment and my question today as we look at the book of Philippians this morning is, is it worth the loss of unity? I mean, is it worth the loss of unity We're in this season of giving. Is it possible that the greatest gift that we could give to the world around us as a church would be a unified church? Is that the greatest gift possibly that we could give in this season as a people? A unified church, a unified people, a unified mission, a unified message? What if we fought for unity more and we didn't allow non-essentials to cause us to take our ball and go home? Is it worth the loss of unity? It was the question that came to my mind. I was leading a baccalaureate service with another pastor a couple years ago before the Lord sent us here at the church I pastored in Manteno, Illinois. We're leading this baccalaureate service and. We were meeting, and for those who don't know, a baccalaureate service is for graduating seniors in high school, for them to celebrate God and speak life. We get to, as church leaders and pastors, speak life over these seniors who are going on to the next season of their life. And it's also just an opportunity for seniors and their families to just worship together with other church leaders in the area. And it is a really neat, neat thing. And so for this particular service, I wanted the Christian students to have the vision for it. From the style of music and certain worship songs to even the ambiance in the worship facility, I wanted them to own it. And so we had a couple meetings leading up to the baccalaureate and they had this amazing vision and it was theirs and they were running with it as 17 and 18 year old students. They did what seniors, though, often do in high school. When you give them an inch, they took a foot, okay? And, and so the worship service was looking a little bit like this. I got a, I got a picture up here, so I mean, they had lights shooting every direction. We were worshiping. It felt like we were at a Hillsong concert. It was neat to say the least. They had a haze machine. They had lights shooting every which way. And one of them shared their own song that they had written and produced. And it was clean, it was Christian, it was really good. And quite frankly, the whole service was awesome. It was awesome. But I'll never forget one older gentleman who had been a part of all of the baccalaureates preceding this one that I know of. He walks into our lobby and he kind of peeks in the worship center and he sees all the lights and the kids are just getting excited and they're revved up to worship God. The worship team consisted of kids. It, It was just an awesome thing. But this gentleman walks in, looks at that. He sees the lights dim, the haze, lights all around. And he says, who's in charge of this? And I'm, I guess, across the lobby, and I really didn't hear him say that. I was told that he said that by someone else. And I just look over, and I see him, and I'm kinda like waving, and I see one of the kids who he asked this to, they just point at me, like, Pastor John's in charge of this. Thinking to myself, I, yeah, okay, I'll take one for the team. And so he looks at me, And I didn't know what was going on at the time because we were probably about 10, 12 yards away. He looks at me and he just does one of these, nods in disappointment and leaves the church and doesn't come to the baccalaureate service to support these Christian graduating seniors. My question then and my question still today is and was, Is it worth the loss of unity? That's the question we have to ask ourselves when we make difficult decisions to break fellowship with other believers, or when we leave the church, or when we choose to conduct ourselves in a way that may not best represent the God we serve. Is it worth the loss of unity? Now that's an example of service style, but people have left the church for other reasons, baptism. It's been a big one over the centuries for the Christian church. Women serving as elders. It's been a big one. We're leaving the church because of that. Is it worth the loss of unity? Or what about when someone in the church who's having a bad day says something nasty to you when you also happen to be having a bad day or they just look at you a certain way and you start to perceive things? For some people, that's all it takes. I'm done. I'm not worshiping here anymore. And for some, it's sad because that's all it takes for them to say, I'm not worshiping anywhere anymore. Is it worth the loss of unity? I think if we asked ourselves that question more over non essential matters, I think we would be better for it as the people of God. You see, we find out in Philippians chapter 4 why Paul is bringing up unity in chapters one and in chapters two because there are two women in the philippian church who are having a bit of a quarrel we don't exactly know what causes this disagreement but the women's names are the women names are yudia and Sintek. maybe they were arguing whose name's better, I don't know. But uh, they were having some kind of disagreement, Paul alludes to in this book, and so it's quite, quite likely that Paul is bringing up unity for the sake of even just two of these members, that the whole body could have peace. Now just think about that for a moment. Can you imagine? We don't know how big the Philippian church was. Could have been the size of CRC. Could you imagine just two people having having issues? It's so important that Paul, in just four chapters of his writing, which Philippians is really a thank you letter to the Philippian church because he's overflowing with joy for them. But it's it's important enough for Paul to say, "This this needs to be addressed that kind of shocked me in my study this week. And as I've been studying the book of Philippians in preparation for this series, like just two people. And, and Paul's like, I'm gonna call it out in, in love. But this is important. Look at Philippians one twenty seven before we get into Philippians 2, one through four. Philippians one twenty seven, and I love hearing pages turn. Says this, whatever happens, and this is Paul, Previously, if you remember, if you were here last week, Paul is sharing, look, whether I live or whether I die, I I long to be with you, but I also long to be with the Father. I long to be in heaven, like I've gone through some things. Um, Paul's saying, but never, look, whatever happens, these are some instructions, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then later on in that verse, he says, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Whatever happens, the citizens that Paul is writing to are literal citizens of Rome, even though they're a part of a colony in ancient Macedonia that's some thousand miles away from Rome, they're still a part or they're still citizens of Rome. And Paul's point is poignant and it's clear. If you're in Christ, you're not only a part of the colony in citizenship in Philippi, you're a part of a greater colony in citizenship in heaven. And when you're a citizen of heaven, then the citizens of your earthly colony, whether it be Philippi, whether it be Coopersville, whether it be Marne, whether it be Allendale, whether it be Grand Rapids, wherever your citizenship earthly may lie, those citizens are watching us. Those citizens are watching. So whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. On so the back half of that verse, he says, stand firm in the one spirit. You catch that? Stand firm. Be established in the one spirit. The only way that we can accomplish this is if we're on the same team, pulling from the same spirit, going toward the same goal. I love football, you know that. I, love is a strong word. I enjoy football. If a football team on offense is confused about which way the gold line is, they're not going to have much success, are they? You're Detroit Lions fans, you know the answer to that question. Therefore, we have to be one together. We have to go forward together. Therefore, at the end of verse 27, Paul says, we must be striving together as one for the gospel and go blue, okay? Now we have the football references. Big win yesterday as they enter into the playoffs. Satan wants nothing more than to divide us, friends, because when we're divided, we're not in the one spirit together. We're not striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, because when we're divided, we're weakened, we're ineffective, our light is dimmed when we're divided, but oh, when we're united, how bright is our light for the community? How bright is it? Let's read Philippians 2, one through four again. Coming into Philippians 2, one through four, it reads like this, therefore, if you have any Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. Paul is establishing here a sound argument. You hear that word if, if, if if, he's making a sound argument here for unity in the body of Christ. Paul is giving four great considerations for people to consider before they break unity. He's giving them something to consider. In effect, he's saying, since there's so much encouragement from being united with Christ, you know that since his love has tremendous persuading comfort, since the Holy Spirit brings us together with such wonderful common ground, and since there is so much tenderness and compassion in Christianity because of the Christ that we serve, shouldn't we all be able to live in harmony and get along? I mean, that is the tone really here of Philippians too. If this is true, Shouldn't we all be able to have harmony together on the things that matter most, such as Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, the Holy Spirit? Shouldn't we be able to be unified? Let me let you in on a little secret your pastor appreciates when you live in unity with one another, I really do. Paul is already extremely grateful and he's filled with joy for the Philippian church, but he says, if we could figure out this unity thing a little better, he goes, then my joy would be perfect, or it would be, another translation would be, it would be overflowing. Then my joy, if we could figure this unity thing out a little bit, because I am so encouraged by you, Philippian church, but if we could figure out the unity thing, my joy would be overflowing. My joy would be made perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect church. You know that if you're here, right? (laughs) There's no such thing as a perfect church, but a church that is unified in the spirit, a church that is unified in mission, and a church that is filled with tenderness and compassion, it just feels like a little slice of heaven, doesn't it? It's a sweet thing I want you to know this morning, Sundays are my favorite days of the week. Well, for some of you, you're like, well, you only work one day a week, so the one day that you work a week, that's your favorite day? Well, you don't know. I can't tell you how many horror stories I heard when people uh, from Illinois, oftentimes they were older pastors telling me these horror stories about consistory meetings. If you don't know what consistory is, I shouldn't even explain it, you'd probably be better off. But Consistory is a a team of our elders and deacons and we meet monthly and uh, really as a team, we have two different teams from our Consistory. You either come on the care team or you come on the admin team and we work together as leaders in the church to serve the church and to serve the community. And people just when they found out I was considering a job in Western Michigan at a reformed church, they're like, oh, buckle up. And I don't know if you've ever entered into a vehicle with someone and they, and they look at you and they say, buckle up. That makes you a little nervous. Like, should I be in this vehicle? And so they were like, oh, buckle up. And I'm like, I think we're gonna be okay. I mean, I'm like an optimist. And I'm like, no, it's gonna go great. And we meet once a month, which means I've been like 18 meetings in or so. And can I tell you, I gotta be honest, I love our consistory meetings. We call it our lead team. I love our lead team. Like I get excited about our lead team meetings. Like when we get to meet as elders before, I'm like, man, we get to meet as elders. This is so cool. Like we get to meet and pray and talk and, how fun is this? Why? Well, why do I feel that way? Because there's unity at the leadership level of this church and if you're a member here or you're not a member here, you need to know that. We have, look, we have some difficult conversations sometimes just like any family would, but we have unity and that is beautiful and it's a blessing. We're unified in the spirit, we're unified in mission and it, consists of people who are filled with tenderness and compassion. That makes the joy of a leader or the joy of leadership overflow. But I was praying a couple months ago with some brothers in Christ in my office, and I felt the Lord share something with me that not only I struggle with, but as I began to chew on it over the couple days after our prayer session, I realized maybe as a faith community, this could be something that we could continue to work on. You ready for it? This may or may not apply to you. You you may not have this, but I really felt like as I began to chew on it and pray further on this matter, I felt the Lord impress this on my heart. Maybe this is something that burdens you as well. Maybe it's a thorn in your flesh. And it's this, a critical attitude toward others. I was praying with my friends, my brothers in Christ, and that just, that, that came on my heart really heavy and at this particular night. It was a Thursday night, I believe it was. And I thought to myself, one, I had to repent for myself. So I said, man, oftentimes I have a critical attitude toward others, and, and that leads to disunity. And I thought to myself, maybe this is also for the church. Maybe as a church, we can sometimes have a critical attitude towards others. The struggle has the power to harm unity. You ever catch yourself picking someone apart flaw by flaw, or maybe even another church flaw by flaw? Maybe you catch yourself saying things like, Now don't misunderstand me, I love her, but find yourself doing that? What's happening there? Well, we're irritated and sometimes unconsciously seeking some justification for the reasons why we don't wanna see this person again or we have great disdain for these people over here. And I thought to myself, man, I, I, think I, I, I think I struggle with that. Or even in our own body, like I want things to just be just right and everyone to be happy. I'm a people pleaser at times. And so in being a people pleaser, if I feel like some people aren't happy, I can have a critical attitude towards them. And that's not good, it's sinful. And the trouble with this justification is that we treat it as though we were left with no other option but to break off fellowship, to take our ball and go home. But Paul is saying, no, there are other options. Bear with one another, bear with one another. Have difficult conversations with one another. This is what Christ would want from us. I pray if you're anything like me and you find yourself wrestling with a critical attitude towards others, that God would help to move us as a people to model humility in a spirit of reasonableness within each and every relationship that we have. And what we end up finding out is if we're struggling in the area of unity or disunity within the body of Christ, there's guaranteed to be one main divider at war within us. And it's this five letter word, pride. This is really the stem of it all. This is really the the root of it all. It's pride, pride is the issue. Which is why Paul writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So how do we handle pride? Paul answers that question in those verses. We seek to value others above ourselves. We seek to look out for their interests above even our own interests. And boy, this is great marital advice, is it not? Herm Edwards, Super Bowl coach and outspoken Christian, he was the Super Bowl coach of the Indianapolis Colts. I wanna say it was 2006, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but he has this quote that says something like, players on my team, they don't play for the name on the back of the jersey, they play for the name on the side of the helmet. I like that. Those are team players on Jesus' team as well. We don't play for the name on the back of our jersey or on our birth certificate. We play, we serve for the Savior and for the betterment of the body of Christ. I've never met a person who's a divider who constantly puts others above themselves and is constantly looking out for other people's interest. It seems to be an antidote that Paul gives here that crushes pride just crushes pride. Listen to me, church, unity reveals the love of Christ to this world, unity. The birth of Jesus caused great catastrophe to every evil power in this world. Now, when God's people seek to unify, every evil power, you must understand, will seek to disrupt that unity in full force, spiritual force. So when we are unified, if we are unified, when you and your spouse are having great seasons and you just feel like you're on the same page, you feel like everything's great, you must understand there are going to be evil forces at war, at work to disrupt your unity. You need to know that. But let me say this as we close out shortly. I don't want you to get it twisted. We can't compromise the truth for unity. It's important to know that. And I did not purposefully share that at the beginning because I know some of you have been wrestling with that thought right now in your mind for the last 20 minutes or so, like, but the truth, but the truth, but the truth, we do not compromise truth for unity. We can't. In the most unifying chapter in all the Bible, I believe, which is John 17, it's Jesus' high priestly prayer. He's constantly praying over his disciples and future disciples over unity. He shares these words in verse 17 in chapter 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Unity is not about everyone getting along and everyone getting by a campfire and singing Kumbaya, all right, at the end of the day. Paul's not calling, I wanna be very clear, he's not calling for unity at all costs. Because in order for there to be unity, we must unify on something. And for Christians, that something is the word of God, and that someone is Jesus Christ. So if we can't unify on that, then there is no unity. Some things are worthy of our division. Do not get me wrong. But many things are not. Okay? Some things are worthy of division. But many things are not worthy of our division. If we can unify around Christ and his word, then everything else should be able to work itself out for the sake of unity. So in order for us to find unity in this season, we must humble ourselves and submit to the Savior. Are you willing to change course this morning if you've been wrestling with this? I was reading this story with that thought in mind. The battleship was plowing at night through a rough, foggy sea and its radar suddenly indicated an object in its path. The ship's captain send off a radio signal. We're on a collision course. I advise you to change course 10 degrees north. A response crackles over the radio, negative. We advise you to change course 10 degrees south. The captain can now see a blinking light from the approaching object Perturbed, he bellows a reply, I'm a ship's captain, change course 10 degrees north now. I'm a seaman, second class, comes the reply. Advise that you change course 10 degrees south to avoid imminent collision. The captain is furious, He, he blurts another command, this is a battleship, change your course immediately. Back comes the calm reply, this is a lighthouse. The battleship changed course. The battleship changed course. Are you and I willing to change course if the call is coming from the lighthouse? Are you and I willing to change course in his word is a light unto our feet. Jesus' birth should remind us this season as we prepare our hearts to celebrate his birth, let us continue to pursue unity. Once again, not at all costs. It must be around the truth. It must be around Jesus Christ. But unity, if at all possible, let us continue to pursue unity unity as the church of Jesus Christ. Now would you pray with me as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning. Father, thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit, which is our unifying and abiding presence in times of disunity, in times of disruption, in times of political chaos, craziness that ensues. I think of looking at my phone one day this week. It feels like I had things popping up randomly. We have a school shooting on the other side of the state. Madness happening all around us. And I'm thinking, Lord, Maranatha, Father, be with us. Have mercy on us. Father, as a church, may we continue to seek unity. May we continue to fight for unity. Father, I thank you for the ways in which I see unity in this church, and the ways in which you have unified us beautifully and wonderfully in this season. We give all the glory and all the credit to you. For those of us who may be struggling with disunity in our relationships, God, we just ask for your Holy Spirit. We ask for your presence to help us, to guide us in this season as we prepare room in our hearts to continue to celebrate the birth of Christ. Father, as we take communion this morning, we pray that your spirit would continue to rest in this place. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray, amen. We will have communion this morning if You're a believer in Jesus Christ, we welcome you to join us in communion. You may not be a member here, that's okay. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this table is open to you and your family. However, if you're not a believer, we we would ask just at this time, as the elements come by you, that you would just pass them up. But we would love to talk to you about what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ the same night that Jesus was betrayed. He met with his disciples in the upper room. It was an intimate time, it was a unifying time even though there was disunity within the group because of one, Judas Iscariot. But he met with them and he broke bread and he gave thanks, declaring this is my body, which is given for you. As often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup and he declared, this is the sign of the new covenant. As often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. We'll ask our elders to come forward. We will serve you in your seats. If you would wait until everyone is served, then we will take communion together.